Welcome to the Shield Wall Podcast, where tempered men are formed. All right, guys, we're back here with another episode with the uh, Shield Wall Podcast. My name is Cody. I'm one of your hosts. Here in the studio today, I have a good friend. Hey, guys, it's me. It's Seth. How you doing? And then uh, long distance, we have our buddy chiming in, one of the other co-hosts. You over there, buddy? Yeah, I'm here, man. Ethan Hardy, piping in. So where are you at? Piping in. That's a weird phrase. <laughs> John Piper. I don't in. pipe, guys. I promise. <laughs> Ethan Hardy. Just RJ45 pipes over here. <laughs> piping Cat hot. Six, baby. I think we established last time that uh, e- Ethan is now. He is in a. He's in a different place. He's I a am place. in a different locale. He's with the Lord, but not like that. <laughs> that would be a weird podcast. Great way to make money. That's a book right there. Podcast from the grave. Who is it? Um, uh, soul traveling. We can call it that. On the soul train? Well, on the soul train. With the soul plane. Those, both of them with snakes on the train. Do you take All the soul train up. to board the soul plane to get to the third heaven where they have a USB 3.0 and a focus right? Hey. <laughs> that, wherever that is, that's where Ethan is. And Ethan uh, is one of our brothers and he's, he's uh, it's awesome to pipe in. <laughs> <laughs> Coming in from Chesapeake, Virginia. Eleven pipers. Eleven pipers. Uh, so we got another episode for you. We got a good topic. I think it's Imago Dei. All and Imago Dei long. All Imago Dei. So this is a weird, fun word. It's a Latin word. It essentially just means image of God. And Imago Dei or Imago Dei. I'm just going to go out and say it. It's Imago Dei. I'm, there's a dispute. Dei. Dei is the proper Draw way. Draw the but, line in the sand. But throughout the podcast, you'll hear us say Imago Dei. It's fine. It's Imago Dei, but whatever. Um, essentially, it's, James White. I love James White. But essentially, <laughs> it's like every podcast, <laughs> every single. <laughs> well, he doesn't I, pay us. Really, I I hope that if we mention his name enough, he <laughs> will come on our podcast. Tagging him. Um, I've never really been in a, like you know a fanboy, but uh, again, I'm I'm not. But James White has has influenced. I think. This whole group in such a unique way. I just had to do it, Seth. I had to normalize it. <laughs> that um, it, it, in all can't... in all different ways too. Yeah, I'm um, just yeah. terrified he's gonna listen one day, and then we're gonna get Facebook <laughs> blasphemy. <laughs> that's Paul uh, Usher. No, well, yeah, that's true. But um, but just he he actually, I was listening to some of his um his sermons or his podcast stuff that he does, and he's just, he's very doctrinally minded, and some of these words that just get people triggered in the um, intellectual disconnection, like they just like they don't want to hear the theological terms. They don't want to hear that, so yeah. they disconnect from the conversation. So, getting that out of the way, the topic is imago dei or imago dei. Uh, we're just talking about how God has uniquely created man in the image of God. Is you that what that means? That God has created us in His image and likeness. Hmm. You would think that people would love this term, you know? Like there are some theological terms that makes sense why people would sway away from them but omago day the, the the reality of that the reality that it is the reason why every person has dignity no matter what gender no matter what social status no yeah, either no male or what female. age male yeah. or female the two the two genders the two genders we from um, yeah you would think that like it would be something that people two. are preaching from the from the steeples you know yeah, I think this this doctrine itself just gives life to all of the rest of the Bible because it distinguishes humanity and it places a crown on humanity as as God's finest piece and his choicest piece and he places so much worth on it that we see in the revelation of his son the Lord Jesus Christ comes and bears the image of 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 man but ultimately he's redeeming the fact and the reality that the image which Adam was given was the image of God and his likeness. And so Christ ultimately fulfills all of the requirements. He fulfilled what Adam could never fulfill, which was being obedient. And to the point where Christ had to take upon all of the sin which was incurred through through Adam's uh, disobedience. And then uh, all the way down to the sins of the world, Christ bore every single one of those and sufficiently satisfied the wrath of, of God. And... By way of that satisfaction, he's given us access to 
come back into a, a reconciled relationship with God. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ we find our true redemption, our value is reaffirmed and uh, reclaimed and redeemed, and we have purpose. And so image of God and image bearers, um, as image bearers, we have to find out in the Bible just core beliefs. Right. right. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to go over. Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 is really the primer of this whole conversation. Yeah, because you talked about um, you know Jesus and Adam. You were talking about the differentiation, I mean, the difference between them, uh, kind of a compare and contrast, because the Bible calls Jesus the last Adam or the better Adam. Uh, and so Amago Day associated with Adam in Genesis 1 is talking about, and God said, let us make man in our own image. And and that's where this comes into play. So uh, are we going to touch on that a little bit later? You want to touch on no, it now? Go ahead. And yeah. Go ahead and read that. Well, let me read the Genesis 5 to set it up because it gives a unique uh, just presentation. Can you uh, go to we'll the Genesis like? Yes. Yeah. This, this would be the text if you're looking for the um, the proof text. Here we go to the context. In Genesis 5, verse 1, it says, This is the book of gen- of the generations of Adam. See, Adam, the, he's the first image bearer, and he is the son of God in the sense that he is the first image bearer of God's likeness and image. When And this is still verse 1. It says, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. So there's the distinctions between what Adam and the Hebrew men. Adam is the Hebrew word that essentially can be summed up as mankind. But they're the same word. Adam's name means man. And then when God makes the distinction between man and female, he calls them man. He calls them um, the, the creational component is, of this um, is still distinctly applied to man. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very triggered right now. <laughs> right. And so maybe you know, there, maybe here is where you start to see a uh, hierarchy in a certain sense of what it would look like in a relational component between marriage, because they're married. God creates Adam and Eve as a married unit. Mm-hmm. They don't come out. They didn't have a choice. They didn't come out and flourish absent of God's covenant being placed on them. I don't think they they cared about choice at that point. They did not care about choice because the choice which was given to them was absolute perfection, mm-hmm. and that was a choice God made at last. <laughs> At last. At last. I was thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, he, is bone of my, my bone. bone. Oh my All God. right. <laughs> and he blessed them, and he named them Adam. So there's there's the point. He he named them Adam, and when they were created, so Adam and Eve were created. Like we believe that the Bible says that he created all things with the word of his power. We believe in a literal creation. We believe that God has done that because we believe the word. Uh, Creation Shield Ball podcast episode to follow. Yeah, we'll come with that. Verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. So there you see the direction that happens. This is post the fall. Mm -hmm. You see Adam having a child with his wife Eve, and it was in the image of Adam. So Mm -hmm. there's a separation, but go ahead with your verse that was preceding this. All right, because right off in Genesis chapter 1, um, whoa, lost my place, excuse me. Genesis chapter 1, uh, we see on the sixth day, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So... God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then uh, it goes on. He blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Um, I, see right up, I see right up the bat here that um, one of the things about being an image bearer is that that is in a way like God is the role. Yeah. I mean, because God's God made man, Adam and Eve, in in the image of God, and their role is to have dominion. Their role is to rule. Their role is to keep, and all of those things are are very characteristic of God. So yeah. man was created with a purpose. Yeah, and you see that there's there's shared responsibility, shared purpose in there. It's not like mm-hmm. this one role is designated just to you. 
However, you do see that Adam was created in the garden, and Eve was produced out of Adam's rib. And so there's distinctions that are made that we see in the New Testament where it wasn't uh, the woman who was made first, but it was man who was made first. Adam was made first. Mm -hmm. And so not in a place of importance or value, but in the place of what Ethan hit on is a key word, role. Yeah. Men have a distinct role. Role, It is just a different role and a different responsibility. There's no... There's no priority set to one. I like one. how he rolls in. Ah, it's just a role. I love how you <laughs> said that. It is, though. It's a, it's a role and a responsibility. You know, um, yeah. there's special responsibility put on a man. There's special responsibility put on a woman. You know, it's it's gender roles. You know, it's the way it's the way God intended it, unfortunately, for people who disagree. But, um, but there's also, like, there's more of a... There's a deeper meaning behind it mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Because, I mean, we... We look at it, and a lot of people may look at it from like a worldly perspective of, um, oh, you know, roles, responsibilities, or or what people may say, you know, cultural, uh, social construct, whatever that. But when you get down to it, like, let's look at what it means for him to be create for man to be created in the image of God. And and when you uh, do you mind me talking about Second Corinthians chapter four? Go to it, man. Because uh, we we have Jesus to look back on. As as kind of a marker and a, a milestone to point back to the things of God, and Paul hits on this all the time. But he hits on this in one particular uh, place in uh, chapter four of Second Corinthians, where he's he's talking about the gospel in contrast to what culture um, will accept, and he says, in their case, the God of this world lowercase g, so we're talking about Satan. Mm -hmm. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Jesus in John, John like 14, 15, 16, at the Last Supper, uh, he talks about glorifying the Father. And... Like, that was his purpose. His purpose didn't come to glorify himself. So when you talk about being made in the image of God, then initially that role and that responsibility was to glorify God through the role he gave men and women. Yeah. And what you just referenced Satan blinding the eyes of those that you know could have access to the gospel. Satan was also in the garden. Like, mm-hmm. the moment that there was this distinction that was made between man and woman— Satan was there right along, and he played into, um, obviously, I believe, played in the hands of God. He 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 was something that was not an afterthought. He wasn't a rogue, you know, created being. He was he was something. Oops, in the, how did that get there? Yeah, it's he not, was something. There, there is no dualism in Christianity. Exactly, in the providence of God, mysteries sometimes are necessary for us to defer to. But in the providence of God, Satan arrives, and there is actually a, a huge role that he plays in trying to diminish the value of humanity, diminish the the role of what humans um, rightfully have. They have dominion over this world. They were given charge to multiply and to, and to subdue it. They have distinction and value. And Satan comes in and he says, God's lied to you. There's more trust in this rather than God. They ultimately fall into sin together, Adam bearing the greater responsibility because the distinctions of roles. Mm-hmm. And we see that in the New Testament where it was Eve that was deceived and not Adam. But Adam bore the responsibility and in all in Adam all died. You see the succinct, you know, summary uh, you see the succinct uh, narrative that Adam bore the responsibility, even though it was Eve that was deceived first. Yeah. Well, and so in that there is this idea that they they together were um not only tricked by Satan, but there was an agreeable spirit within them that when they fell they both sinned in a um, contemptible way. Well, God does give them distinct curses. He, he distinguishes what their life courses would look like, and he places on them distinctions yet again. The woman bearing children would be through pain, and even though the pain would be you know, very hard for her to bear, she would still, this is my interpretation, or there's a difference of interpretations out there, she would still desire her husband. Mm-hmm. Her desire would be for her husband. And the husband, when he would go out and toil the ground, he would um, do it with sweat on his brow. He would do it with laborsome and a taxing 
rather than a blessing, and um, the soil would not return easily. He'd have to he'd have to dig into the dirt and um, you know labor over it intensively. And along the way, you still have Satan, who is the serpent, and he's been cursed to the ground, and he's a deceiver from the beginning. He lies, kills, and destroys. Mm-hmm. And he's a deceiver. He's been given a final estate right there in the garden. All of this, right there in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 or 16, where the skull-crushing Savior is pronounced, mm-hmm. that he would destroy Satan. And um, this whole event is not an afterthought. Like, Ethan, you can chime in here. It is not something that God, uh, he, he saw and he just said, okay, what's my plan B? The plan A has always been that Christ would be the greater Adam. Yeah. And that in this pursuit of um, all of God's people, it was necessary that sin would have to enter the optimal or best of all worlds. In the mind of God, the value that's placed on humanity, even in its fallen state, is so high mm-hmm. that you see in Genesis chapter 9, verses 6. Ethan, um, if you want to go to your note, you can see where you've placed how we are image bearers and there's still more value on us than non-image bearers. And what Genesis 9, verse 6 tells us about how we still retain dignity, um, and we will never lose it, and how God places a severe a severe punishment against those that would um, harm the Imago Dei. Yeah, uh, Genesis. To put it put this chapter in context for all of you guys who haven't read Genesis recently, uh, chapter nine of Genesis is right after Noah lands on. I was at Mount Sinai that uh noah landed on i don't remember uh when no it wasn't when, sinai it was an error rat error rat yeah yeah so when it was an error rat error rat like a seagull like a seagull like an air that's <laughs> a metamine oh geez sorry you guys i love you guys um yeah so noah landed on mount air and this was the first rainbow it's a great felt board it's a great but, rainbow it's a great rainbow the best rainbow the noahic promise um, yeah the noahic covenant um so yeah this god god and there was a covenant between god and noah and that was the the covenant that most most christians who grew up in church would know like this is the covenant where god promised not to flood the earth again not to destroy the earth with water thank you lord um thank you lord <laughs> thank you we for just the rainbow. uh here in here in this area we um we just avoided a hurricane which was a huge blessing so i'm, I'm appreciative of that thank you god Thank you, God. He stayed the hand of the waves. Um, so I'm gonna read. Uh, I'm gonna read Genesis nine one through eight. Here we go. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply." Here's a common theme. God continuously tells man to be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are given every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I give the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. Surely I will require your lifeblood for every beast. I I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. So there's a bunch of things going on here. Um, interestingly enough, this is the verse that... Um, so this verse is is a covenant that's pre mosaic covenant so this is before god institutes the law under under moses um so this covenant is i don't believe i don't think i don't believe this covenant has ever ended um it's not like the it's not like the mosaic covenant that ended with christ's blood this is a this is a covenant that's still active um so this is the this is a a a verse that actually institute institutes the death penalty um because it says in verse 10, uh, yeah, getting controversial here. So because it says in verse 6, <laughs> whoever sheds man's blood, 
by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. So we see here that God is saying, if man sheds blood, I demand his blood, because you are an image bearer. Uh, and this this theme is 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 talked about. This this theme is actually readdressed or kind of elevated in the Mosaic law. So mm-hmm. Exodus twenty one twenty eight through twenty nine says. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall go unpunished. If, however, an ox was previously in the habit of goring and its owner has been warned, yet he does not confine it and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. So, so uh, this is like... Yeah. Are you in the habit like, of uh, goring? <laughs> yeah, if you're in the habit of goring. Um, so here in Genesis and in Exodus, we see two examples of God putting a very high priority, a high value on image bearers. Yeah. Like even like if a man has an ox that's in the habit of goring people <laughs> and he's been warned and, it, and the man doesn't do anything to prevent it, then he should die. And it, these are it's the, death penalty. These are death penalty. You see that the dignity of all, right? Um, uh, manslaughter. You see this, the premeditation of that. So this man didn't just get killed because, you know, uh, the, the law of God is unjust. It is actually so just that it goes to the point of fulfilling justice, which yeah. is returning back to what another man deserves or what he's due. And to the point where you're mentioning the ox and how the oxen and how an individual has to be responsible and he has responsibility even even over his cattle, even over the things that he he manages, manslaughter. Right. I mean, that's yeah. the, that's what that would interpret. Res- into I mean, our- uh, like this, the verse in, in uh, Genesis nine says, like we are to be fruitful and multiply, and if our possessions cause mm-hmm. death, harm, well, this is specifically talking about death, death to others who are then who would normally be called to be fruitful and multiply, like that is that brings harsh punishment because God sees God sees man as someone who shares in his image as something that is of, of utmost value. This would be a passage that PETA wouldn't technically like because yeah. there's exact punishment. And not only that, there's the restitution of the individual who uh, essentially died by the hands of this person. There's vindication yeah. even in his death. Yeah, I mean, because nowadays we would make excuses. We'd say, oh, well, that's just the natural... Um, that's just the natural habit of an ox. If it sees a person, it's going to gore it. So why do you have to punish the ox? Well, God places a higher premium on the right. life and the blood of a human being than obviously we do in culture today. Uh, so much so than an ox, like more and, than an I ox. Mean, and, and there's like that carelessness when Jesus talks about um, love your neighbor as yourself. Like one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In this, all the law and the prophets are fulfilled. Looking back here at you, Exodus. If this man loved his neighbor, he would have penned up his ox. Yeah, and, and if he was, and and if he was fulfilling God's uh, God's instruction to have dominion, like this man, like if a man has an ox that's in the habit of goring people and he doesn't do anything about it, he's not having dominion over creation. He's not having dominion over his ox. So it's like exactly what you're saying, Seth. It's, it's both a violation of God's God's role in Genesis and all of the, like the law of all the prophets, which is love your neighbor. So now, it's really a violation on all fronts. Now let's so, uh, I mean, what this verse is saying is that meat is not murder. Yeah, and, and, uh, and also you're seeing in here that the individual responsibility, meat is not murder. The individual responsibility for a man to be able to protect his family is right there in the, in the very beginning. That if a man kills, obviously, the responsibility is that there would be capital punishment in return to him. But it's also saying right there, there's a defense that could technically be uh, preemptive here. And uh, men should be prepared to bear a sword mm-hmm. and protect themselves at all times with yeah. a, I always like saying this with a legal, legal weapon. Yes. And, um, acquiring that is, uh, you know, based off your, you know, state statutes and stuff, make sure you 
Shall not be infringed. Yes, shall not be infringed. <laughs> but you, there's so many things in here. This is not, we, Christians just don't like guns. They don't just like weapons. Like we do this because we love the Imago Dei. That's my reason. Um, and I see it in here as uh, it's necessary. If I have children, I'm responsible for them. Mm-hmm. I need to protect them. Be called so, to account for it. Called to account. Um, I mean, guns like, I don't want to go down the gun rabbit trail because that's a whole other episode. But gun, I've, I, I've talked to Grace a lot about this because she comes from a different background than I do. Um, she didn't grow up with guns in the house while I did. I, my dad, from a young age, like really ingrained the responsibility and the, the safety that's required with handling those. And in my understanding, as a, as a man, as a Christian man, as someone who values all people as a Mago Day, guns are just a tool to give someone an option. You know, yeah. like they, they don't kill people. People kill people. I know it's like an an annoying adage that everyone goes to, but guns just enable. They they guns just enable an option. An option which, yeah. doesn't have to yeah. be people. Um, it could know, be an ox. We, and- we, well, it could be a bear because you know there's some guy with a video camera like caught a bear up at our our property. I mean, we've never seen it, but now I'm like, okay, so uh, <laughs> there's a bear. There's a bear and or a sasquatch. Ooh. <laughs> <sighs> One passage that you guys can go to in your time um, to study, because there's two views on it, is Luke chapter 22, verses 33. Oh, is that the... Sending them out. Is two swords enough? Yeah. Is that that passage? I'll read it real quick. It says, they said, look, look, uh, sorry, Lord, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Some interpret that Jesus is formally rebuking them, like, it is enough, stop. Like, don't bring that up. But Eh, there's an issue of, you know, money bags and how they travel. And so maybe he is commanding them to bear literal swords. I tend to side with that like he says no this is enough like two would be two would be it, fine for the what ethan was trying to say the option is it 22 going, the sending out or is that where he's going to gethsemane um that's why i said they can go further i pulled it from oh, okay you guys go research that go research that but there's passages that are available for you to look at that affirms that the mago day is valued to such a degree that our lord had instilled in his disciples to make a provisional option to protect yourself at all times. And of course, of course, that, um, you know, there's a, there's the opposite interpretation of that. But I, just, I think that whole context serves well to the idea that human life is valued by God. And so we should be valuing God to the extent where we're, pre- we're prepared to protect it. Mm-hmm. We're, 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 we're uh, proactive in that, meaning that um, we want to see the Imago Dei not just in a physical sense, protected but there's components of spirituality emotional and um just the innocence the vulnerability of those who have not the ability to protect themselves so that this this topic really fires me up just <laughs> what you just said cody fires me up because i when i when i think of imago day when i think of studying imago day and the value that that god puts on all people no matter their size no matter their development no matter their age i can't help but think of abor- the the tragedy the tragedy of abortion yeah i can't mm-hmm. it it is just right on the surface like even more than than like bearing arms even more than than protecting myself against a, an oppressive federal government you know like <laughs> that like that is a abortion is an atrocity against imago day that is continuously happening every day and it just fires me up. That was a you quote. Know, like I, it frustrates me so much that that something like this can happen. It's a quote I just um, I saw. I can't. I'm gonna butcher it. That's all right. It's uh, you were you were never just the embryo. You were an embryo who has always been a person. Because it's one of those distinctions they try to separate is that there's classifications of life. There's inception. Um, there's in the implantation. There's the embryo. Then there's the status of a fetus, and then the potential of life only comes when you are deemed worthy by society as coming outside the womb as a person. And God says, in the womb I have formed you. Like, he is the one who gives this, what they call the spark of life. He breathes the literal life into every single child. What we call that process in its gestational form, you know, implantation, um, embryo, fetus, person that that's that's on us god will judge us when we separate those parts out from the beginning god created them he created the man singular he has made us adam he has made us in his image and so that is an area of imago day that i 
I hear your passion on that one, Ethan. I mean, when you go back to, to, to the passage, Genesis 9, whoever sheds man's blood by his blood shall be shed. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to get radical here, but in, in clearly in Genesis 9, God is crying. God is, is demanding the blood of those who take blood. Right. Like that is what, and, and I can't not say it. Abortion falls under that. Yeah. Well, cause when, uh, when Cain in Genesis kills your brother, kills Abel, um, he says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, what's, what's fantastic is that when you get into Hebrews, it talks about Jesus's blood speaking a better word than Abel's. Uh, but man, when you think about the great and terrible day of the Lord, and I think about, you know, God's righteous retribution on, on those on whom have not believed in Jesus Christ, then the wrath of God is going to come down for those millions and millions, and their blood is crying out. Do you, this is a Star Wars plug. Uh, but do you remember when Obi-Wan Kenobi senses in the Force? Mm-hmm. The same cry. I mean, this is a sci-fi movie, but it still it begs for the humanity to pause and ask these questions. I'm going to read it. It says, I feel a great disturbance in the force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. I fear something terrible has happened. I mean, that's an echo from the heart of Genesis, where you're speaking about how God hears the cries of the blood that's, that is literally the lifeblood that never would be now, because all of the generations have been wiped out by one foolish act and God Genesis 9 requires the act, the um the you know for us to um see the value in that um now i there is great weight to what we're talking about but right. we also need to kind of ask another question and it's an awkward transition you can't like go from something really weighty like that to you know continuing on our merry way down the imago day trail but i'm going to do it so, so we've just talked about purpose and and role, responsibilities, things like that. Dignity. Like the great worth mm-hmm. and dignity placed on the image bearers of God. Now, here is the $10 question. Why? Why? Why was man created? Why was man created? I mean, this is a question I think every single religion begs to ask and answer. And it's actually the reason why there are so many inventions. And irreligion, like non-religion asks yeah, this. They beg this question, uh, why? Mm-hmm. Why? And I think we, we can have a uh, consistent answer. We're going to read some scripture here. Um, John chapter 17, verse 5. I'm just going to spout these out so some of you guys can pick them up. Okay. In the listening audience, um, <laughs> John chapter... Um, 1724. So whoever reads the first, read that second, please. All right, I'm on it. All right, and then Ethan, can you get Isaiah 43, verse 7? And I'll take the last one here. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. So the idea, uh, here's our our answer, just real quick. Uh, God did not need to create man, yet he created us for his own glory. So this asks a question, you know, how can God create things for his own glory. When we talk about men or women asking for recognition for anything, we call them selfish Uh or we call them jealous. Um, The the answer in some is that you've never created anything out of nothing. You do not have all power. You do not have all dominion. All power power is borrowed. And all glory is derived. And it is all, all authority is derived. And is all all glory when we do not give it back to the Creator is stolen, and so God creates because He wants to. I mean, that's the satisfactory answer that you're going to get when you read the Bible. He just wanted to, but more than that, He created because He loves us. And these passages kind of outline the heart of God as to why He would why would He create us. Go uh, ahead. Seth. Uh, let me give context to this. I'm mm-hmm. going to start in verse 1. 17, verse 1, John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given authority, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, 
that they know you, the only true God, mm. and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed. Before the world existed. Glorify. You want so, me to jump to 24? Or yeah, well, well, just maybe a sentence. What does that mean? What Dude. are you talking about, man? Oh. Give us your interpretation, man. So remember what we were talking about earlier, where... Um, in Genesis 1, God made man in his own image. And then in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, where it talks about Jesus being the image of God. And man's purpose initially was to glorify God. Like, being made in the image of God wasn't to glorify yourself. Being made in the image of God is to glorify God. And that's one thing that we failed to do, because men, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden when they tried to attain something more than hmm. than what God had told them. They tried to elevate themselves higher than God or to be equal to God. But the tragedy is that they were they they were the image of God. Like they were there glorifying God in their every breath and their every being as he worked the ground and as they loved one another, as they you know, so so here you see Jesus Christ fulfilling something that men and women had not done since the creation of the world, since the fall, was to completely and totally glorify the Father. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So this is the glory that Jesus had with God, I mean the Son having with the Father, before the world began, and his, like you see this, um, you know, condescension into flesh, uh, and then him asking God, "Give me the glory because I've glorified you." Like, mm -hmm. like when you get in, that's that's weird because we we think of that as like being um, ambitious, maybe, but when you look in Revelation, the Lamb that was slain was the only one on earth who was worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals. And that was the inheritance, like the inheritance of the earth, or some people call it the title deed to the earth. And yeah, he, he, he effectively purchased it. He was the right. only one who was able to actually redeem, not from Satan's captive hands. Satan is not that powerful. But he redeemed it because of the justice of God demand, demands righteousness, demands there to be uh, you know, a fulfilled component of God's wrath. And that glory that belongs only to the Father was displayed on the, on the cross. And by, a, uh, by an act of God's love and his pursuit for the elect, the glory is made manifest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So and let me hop to Revelation mm -hmm. chapter 5, because uh, you see the, the Lamb uh, and their, uh, the thousands and the myriad of angels uh, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Like all these things he's worthy to receive. Um, and and after he takes this, this scroll, uh, you know, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, mm. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, so now all the glory and attention of mankind is redirected. I mean, does anybody else see that? Like, it's no longer self-focused. We're no longer earthly fo focused, earthly minded. It's now focused on two things, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Mm -hmm. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Mm -hmm. So awesome. glory, glorifying glory. the father. That's the purpose of the image bearers of God. And in the um I always love doing this cuz I think that the saints have, who have come before us we we stand on their shoulders. The Westminster Shorter Catechism shows in its very opening first question it says what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. There is no type of enjoyment outside of coming into fellowship with God. I mean all that other type of enjoyment is like a fleeting, fleeting. yeah. Yeah. Whoa. It is a it is fleeting. Dude, you guys are four hours away. 
You got that like the exact same word. Who says fleeting? Fleeting. <laughs> you buy- People who read the Westminster <laughs> Confession, I guess. Uh, no go ahead, Ethan. Just on the same wavelength. Yeah. yeah. So you you wanted to, I'll uh, I'll read Isaiah forty three six and seven yeah and if also if you want to read Ephesians one eleven because bro you were you were in that book man yeah go go for that one that's your jam all right I'll uh, I'll start with uh, Isaiah here mm-hmm. uh, this is Isaiah forty three six and seven I will say to the north give them up and to the south do not hold them back bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Hmm. Awesome. You have the, called you have by the, my name, created the, for my glory. The Love noble that. task of telling us what that means. <laughs> Your turn. When I when I think of when I think of the the fact that man is to glorify God. Um, I, in, in the most simple way, I, I understand it's not complicated. I don't have, I I don't really want to pontificate on it a whole lot, but when I think of that, I think of, we are supposed to put God on display. We are supposed to get out of the way, be transparent, and we are supposed to show God Mm -hmm. for who he is. Um, if I, if I want to bring glory to one of my brothers in Christ or to my girlfriend, Grace, um, or to my future wife, Grace, um, mm-hmm. what, am I, what I am doing is I am showing who they are. Um, and in doing that, we do not, I guess, temper or color that representation. We just show them for who they are. So when I, whenever I think of, of, of the of the fact that man is supposed to glorify God, I think that man is supposed to show God for who He is. That's mm-hmm. as simple as I mean. That's that's how I understand that verse. Um, so Ephesians one eleven through twelve. All right. Of course, you threw me into like a a huge long <laughs> sentence. Um, I'm and we'll jump it. from this after you're done. We have we'll go to the next one. All right. I'm gonna start in Ephesians one uh, nine. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his to his kind intention which he purposed in him with all with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing of all things in Christ things in the heavens and things in the earth in him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own purpose to hit to the praise of his glory. Man, Love that's that. twice he rolled that out. That, that might be important. Amen. Yeah. So we're seeing, we're, glory. we're seeing that theme right there, to the praise of his glory. That's beautiful. I think that is. Yeah. And it's... Actually, this is cool, guys, because, like, full disclosure, this is the first time that made sense. hey Talking nice. about, like, you know... Expository! <laughs> For Christ and for glory. glory. When I was doing the uh, the shield wall study on Ephesians one, honestly, I just I just read it through a few times when I was just talking to the guys and just being like, "This is what this means. This is what this means." And like, this is how this whole chapter works together. Like, you really can't study Ephesians. Well, you, you the majority of scripture you can't just take chunks of it ch- chunks of it out. You have to really dig through it all. But yeah, this I love this verse. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to the starting point in like verse three, where it talks about uh, blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I mean, it goes on like that's, I can't go through all of it because you basically read just half of it, but like he blessed us in Christ. 
for this. And then you get to the end for the praise of his glory. Yeah, and this this allows when we see the Christ and we see the end of ourselves, and we see the Christ and how he has come and he has uh, died for us, and uh, we're acknowledging our sin. We can't go anywhere else. I mean, this this allows the commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind and our strength, because we cannot save ourselves. We we cannot bring anything to to God to bring Him any glory except for the fact that we acknowledge our sin and our shortcomings, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and in that God's glorified because there is no other way. No other name by which man can be saved. Mm-hmm. I mean, God being the saving, the the glorifying, the eternal God that we serve um, brings Him much glory when we when we place back onto Him the right perspective His creation should have, which yeah. is that we are utterly dependent upon every single thing that you have said, and He's told us, "You're created with value. You fell." I've created a redemptive purpose and a plan. I've executed it through Christ. He's died on and a it, cross for you. And it and, brings it back to like the pre-fall relationship. And even greater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's one of the questions. Is, uh, it's like a C.S. Lewis. What other possible worlds would have made Christ more glorified? What <laughs> other possible worlds would have made the eternal, infinite God more Glory, bring him more glory than the one that we now see. Mm-hmm. This is the best possible scenario that God has for us. You know why it is? Because it's what he says it is. Yeah. And it's hard for people to realize and understand, but when we start to It come, is a really challenging topic. Yeah. I mean, the fact that my pain brings God glory is something that is something to be wrestled with. Yeah. Or, or, or my grandparent which is this is this is true like my grandparent dying without salvation like mm-hmm. that brings god glory injustice mhm you know and that is that is something that is, to be struck it's, it's something to be wrestled with everyone should you know every everyone should wrestle with uh what it means to live in a reality that is ruled by a holy god what and, it means to uh live in a reality where all of creation is unchangeably focused on bringing god glory you know like that's that's a very weighty topic so here's Um, here's a um sorry ethan go ahead no go ahead well here's a part of um you and i ethan have exchanged certain dialogues over the years now um where uh, we talk about free will we talk about the component of free will and how how that looks in a fallen world um one of the questions of uh, just kind of formulating this for us is, did God create man unable to obey his law? So first question, and the, the answer to that is no. God created man able to fulfill his law. And in the garden, you mean, right? However, man has fallen. And yeah. since man has fallen, we have distorted not only our ability, but we have shorthanded all of creation, its potential. Well, that, I mean, that goes with the dominion aspect. I mean, mm-hmm. when we fall, then, I mean, the ruler of a kingdom, when the king dies, the kingdom gets thrown in disarray. And when Adam was given, Adam and Eve were given dominion over the earth and they fell from God's grace, then that fractured the dominion of the earth. And that's why Satan is now known as the the god of this earth, or the god of this world, the, the prince of the power of the air. Um, Which is also why the world and it's volcanic, it's dangerous, and you see how violent the world is. You see that it is explosive. It is. You, you don't set a course into an unknown land because it's scary. You don't know the outcome, and it's a, it's a place where it's, uh, I've said it before, but it's, it's dangerous. And so when you add the components of a fallen world who groans for its restoration in Christ as well, through the um, final restoration that Christ will place on it with a new heavens and a new earth, when you put the, the, the idea of we have a distorted image now in, mm-hmm. our, in our flesh, in our mind, in our soul, we have a distorted imago day, and you compound that with, with the inability that we have to fulfill God's righteous law. And that's going to create 
utter chaos in society. We're going to have injustice. We're going to have systemic. We're going to have a lifelong generation after generation generation distortion of what God's character is, because we're supposed to be in the image and likeness of God, and we're not reproducing the image and likeness of God. We're producing the image of likeness of fallen men mm-hmm. that bear a resembled aspect and intrinsic value and worth and um, certain areas of uh, distinction of who God is, but ultimately uh, the purpose as to why Christ came was to restore, to recover, to give back to man the proper place of his dependence upon God. And by and by Christ coming in the flesh, he, he bears all responsibility. He, he takes on what Adam um, could not do, and what we could not do as well, to satisfy the law, all righteousness, bears the sin, mm-hmm. and is a sufficient and a proper propitiation of all there sin. Go. There you go. <laughs> and justifies all men who believe in Christ. And we become, in a very unique thing, new creations. We become in Christ. We, we now bear... Christ image, and it's producing in us this progressive restoration of who we are supposed to be and uh, what God initially created us to be in the garden. He, he got, Christ is restoring us, um, and it's a beautiful act of God's love because he, we could have never have done it without him. He, he initiates it. He, he gives us the, the, um, the regenerating faith, and he uh, allows us to walk in a new um a path, and it's the path of righteousness, and that component of the Imago Dei summarizes um, where we're where we're heading in this uh, episode, and where we'd like to end. And I'll pass it over to uh, Ethan if you got some points you want to talk about. Yeah, I think it's I think it's important to highlight that through Christ we are changed into more of His likeness. Like we are always Imago Dei from from conception to death, but through Christ's sacrifice, through um, God working out sanctification in us, through us adhering to him and all the while being pulled closer uh, by God, we are made more in, a, in, a, in into Christ's likeness. Um, so that leads re- really well into uh, Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its old with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Mm. Amen. No distinction, renewal, true knowledge, that is what is found in Christ. Um, like we we have, we are Imago Dei before all of this, but we are, through Christ, brought close, brought near, transformed, and that's... And unified. Like unified, exactly. So like as image bearers, there is no more peaceful and fulfilling place than to be in correct relationship with the Father and being made and continuously changed according to his likeness. So like that is that is the place where image bearers, people who are Imago Dei, that is where they are at peace, where they are secure, where they feel fulfilled, where they feel um where they feel right. Like that is where they're they they feel right. And when it when you're in correct correct relationship to the Father. Well, so, and that leads perfectly into uh, the passage that we want to close this out with, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, and I'm going to start at verse uh, 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Mm. 
just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Just that distinction, like not even distinction, just that comparison that, yeah, from dust we were brought and to dust we will return. But in Christ, we have the hope of our end being like that of Christ, where, I mean, Christ rose from the dead. Mm. And this whole chapter in 1 Corinthians, it's a chapter about resurrection. We have that hope that we will bear the image of the man of heaven. You know, we, we do bear that image of the man of heaven when we believe in Christ. And Christ is seated in heaven. And Paul says we are also seated at his right hand in heavenly places. Right, Ethan? Amen. Amen. So, and man, like, the thing that, that sticks out to me as we've been talking about this is just the amount of love that God has for us that we would be sinners destined for hell who rebelled against him. Uh, and, you know, God could have rightly smote Adam and Eve right there in the garden, and that would have been justice. But he showed mercy. And Well, he did, he did also allude to that when he was instructing them not to take of the fruit you know like you will surely die yeah like you will surely die if you eat this and it wasn't like you'll die one day like you'll die now kind of thing but god gave grace to them and that's awesome you know john 3 16 god loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life yep man that's offered to and we, we say this, you know, often as Christians, but that is literally offered to the whole world. Um, the work of the Spirit producing in this world, um, the all those that would believe is, is a mystery we leave to God. The, the, how will they know and believe without somebody proclaiming the truth? Mm-hmm. And hopefully um, after the last maybe 50 or 60 minutes, you've heard some um, persuasion in there that that God loves you. God has cherished you from the very beginning. He's He's made you distinct uh, in in your role, both male and female. Um, some, certain aspects of that, yes, are socially constructed, but God has placed on you a, a purpose. And your purpose, if you're hearing this and you receive the gospel, is to f- fulfill your your God given responsibility in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful act of love from God. If it sounds like it's if it's not loving. I look to the cross. I mean, he died for you. All those wounds, all the stripes, he died for you so that your wounds and your um, scars can be healed by him. And this is this is the gospel. This is the truth that we want to proclaim here at the Shield Wall podcast over and over and over again. Paul and Peter both had this theme where it did not bother them to remind you of the same things over and over and over again, yeah. primarily because we forget the most simple and basic things. Mm-hmm. And the most simple and basic thing we want to communicate is God loves you and he does have a purpose for you. And it's in his beloved, it's in the kingdom. Receive Christ. It's a beautiful thing to do. We can't guarantee that all of life will be uh, simple after that. You might actually have heartache and trouble. But but it's where image bearers feel the most, the most present, the most fulfilled, the most um, loved, satisfied. Loved exactly, yeah. It's it's where, it's where man, from creation was intended to be. Man was originally created to be in right relationship with him, and since then, it has been corrupted. So if you if you feel, if you feel lost, if you feel alone, if you feel unprovided for, um, if you feel orphaned like that, all of those things. All of those things can be and will be resolved through Christ. Amen. It won't it won't be in a day, it might not be in a week, it might not be in a year, but through sanctification, which just means God bringing you closer to him, changing you into his likeness, over the years those those wounds will heal. Those wounds will heal. Absolutely. Because that is where image bearers are supposed to be. We're supposed to be in God's 
in God's presence, in in right relationship with Him. So we are not done with this topic of Imago Dei, but we are for this episode. And what we're going to do is we're going to come back next week. We're going to have part two to this and we're going to hash out some more of the, uh, you know, practical application and dive into what that means for you and me right here, right now, living, breathing men and women on earth, how, uh, how our fellowship with God plays into our everyday lives and our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. We touched on it a little bit here, but we're going to get in more in depth later. Um, but you guys have things to do. We have things to do. Um, but we love you and we thank you so much for listening, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. If you guys have any recommendations for for topics for us, please um, shoot us a message on on social media. That'll all of our social media stuff is in is in the sign off and the outro. So please give us any feedback. We welcome all types of feedback. You know, if you guys have just hate for us, we we like to hear the hate too because it just tends to roll off our backs. So oh oh yeah. man, here comes the train, Ethan. We're gonna have to sign off. Oh See you guys. no! Oh, it's a slow moving train. So you all <laughs> have a good day. We love you. All bye. Right, bye. See Thank you for listening to the Shield Wall Podcast. Our goal is to glorify Christ and strengthen the hearts of men. We've got more episodes on the way, so if you liked what you heard, subscribe and share. For more info and articles, visit our website, shieldwalldiscipleship.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for Shield Wall Discipleship. Thanks again, and until next time, hold the line. Thank you.